We all want more freedom, and a lot of us work hard now in the hope we'll feel free later. What if there was another way? A way to feel happier, more free, and confident to get better results right now. Welcome to Your Freedom Unlimited, where we share practical stories and strategies to help you show up authentically, drop your fears, and take inspired action on what matters most to you. I'm your host, Jen Ramsey. As a coach with a love for metaphysics, science, spirituality, and strategies that get results, I'll help you step away from self-doubt and create a powerful new story for your life, business, or career. Join me. Hi, everyone, and Jen Ramsey here with this week's episode of Your Freedom Unlimited. Thank you so much for spending your time here with me today and also our wonderful guest, Auntie Barbara Brandle. This is part two of a two-part episode that we are sharing with, with Barbara. And the reason it's a two-part episode is that Barbara has an incredible life story and many beautiful wisdom teachings to share with us. So for those of you who haven't heard our previous episode, I'll just quickly give you an overview of the wonderful company that we're in today. So Barbara was born and raised in rural Connecticut in the US, but now lives in Australia. She came here in 2008 for the birth of her second grandchild on a one-year tourist visa. But soon after, she met and married an Aboriginal elder, a very eminent person of our time, Uncle Bob Randall. And she found herself living in an Aboriginal community called Mutajulu, right beside Uluru. Uncle Bob was a traditional custodian of Uluru, which is a large, large red rock monolith in Central Australia and a most incredible place to visit. So if you haven't visited there, I would certainly encourage you to do so. Barbara and Uncle Bob opened their home in Mutajulu to visitors from all over the world to learn from Uncle Bob about his spiritual philosophy and wisdom and the wisdom of his ancient culture. They also travelled very extensively together. Barbara's unique upbringing did prepare her for life with and work with her husband because from the time she was born, she lived along with her six siblings and another hundred or so young people at a residential home for children with special needs that had been founded by her grandparents in the 1920s. And if you listen to part one of our episode, Barbara explains some of the joy and the beauty that was in that incredible home and how she was able to bring forward some, of the, some, some incredible learnings from that experience in her life to her life here in Australia. In 2013, Uncle Bob set up an educational charity and before he died in 2015, he instructed Barbara to get these teachings out to the world through this charity. Charged with this task, Barbara is now dedicated to preserving and sharing this extensive legacy of Uncle Bob's ancient wisdom teachings with the world through the Bob Randall Canyoni Foundation. So Barbara, I'd just like to say thank you so much again for sharing with us, to, coming uh, to share with us today. I really appreciate it. It's my great joy, Jan, and my great honour mm. to tell these stories. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, it's just, it really is a joy. It's just such a joy to meet with you. And and uh, the lovely thing is we've had some chances to share some stories off, off out of the podcast, off, um, off audio. And um, it's, you really do have this amazing life that you have lived and more to come, obviously. Um, but you have shared so gener generously with me. So I'm really honoured to be sharing these stories with everybody today. 
And before we came on to do this podcast, we were talking about what we might cover because there's so many options and opportunities. And one of the things that we really started to talk about was this idea of love. And Barbara made a really interesting comment to me. She said, you know, she said, people are in a state of starvation around love. That's a very stark comment, but I do actually agree with her. And so today we thought we would dedicate this episode to love and of course, dedicate it to Uncle Bob. It was Barbara's beautiful husband who's uh, passed, transitioned in 2015. But today is we're going to focus all around this idea of love and how to really find freedom in love and through love. So Barbara, I'd just like to ask you to start where you would like to start with this story around love. The beautiful topic. I think there are probably more songs and poems and stories and books about love than any other topic in the world or across time. And I certainly have my own uh, opinion or my own feelings, my own perspective about what love is, and uh, more than happy to share with you those, those views. Well, that's wonderful. And I do agree with you. I mean, it is something I think culturally that we're obsessed by in many ways and this desire for more love. But you're right, it transcends culture. It's, it's probably something we've all been interested in over millennia. So where would you like to start with this story? Well, I, I think it's best told in a story because love is, is almost indefinable. It, to me, love has a quality of something that is not just born of manifest reality. Love is not something that belongs simply to, uh, to this physical body. I think love is a, is a concept that belongs also and comes from the spiritual realm. Mm. And so I think the best place is to start mm. is to share the story of how I experienced it, which I is... I'd love to hear it. Okay. So one of, the, one of the things that my husband and I were most often asked about, he, he was asked two things. He was asked, why aren't you angry? Because of, of all he suffered in his life. But he was also asked, you know, how do you find love? How, how, I want to have love like you have with your wife. And how did you two meet in the first place? How did you get together? How did you create that and call it in and make it happen? And so um, I think it might be meaningful to start with sharing that story about how we met the circumstances because embedded in the story is the story about how love happens, how, how it can happen. Um, and then our choices in relationship once we have that opportunity. So I'll start with that. Uh, I think that um, I have to go back to 2007, which was the first anniversary, or the first, sorry, the first birthday of my uh, first grandson. And he was born in Perth. So my daughter many years ago studied abroad, came to Australia and met and married an Australian uh, who is now my son-in-law. And when her, her firstborn had his first birthday, I came to visit for about, I think I might've been here for a month or three months. It was quite a while. And the day before I was scheduled to leave, 
to go back to America, I got woken up by a voice or a dream, whatever you want to call it, early, early in the morning that said to me, you need to go to the didgeridoo breath shop in Fremantle. You're going to meet someone there to collaborate with in your work. And so my daughter, when she woke up, I told her, we have to go to didgeridoo breath. And she said, but mom, I've already taken you there and you didn't talk to anybody. And I said, I know, but today's the day. He said, okay, well, we'll take the baby that hates the car seat, you know, 40 minutes to indulge your, you know, what you think you need to do. And so we did go to didgeridoo breath and I ended up meeting a man who only works there as a fill-in about maybe once every three or four months. And that was the day he was there. Of course he did. That had to, of course, be the day. Mm. Beautiful synchronicity. Yes. Subsequently, when I went back to America, I lost my job immediately. I didn't need the collaboration. But what I got from this man was the information of not only a friendship, but the information about my husband's film that had been released the year before, a film called Canini. And he urged me to watch it. And so I ordered the film online. And when I watched it, I was sitting alone in my home. Um, I was in the midst of a very unexpected divorce after 22 years of marriage. And I watched this film and I was so blown away. And the reason I was blown away was because I had studied, I don't know if it had been maybe 10, 15 years in the esoteric arts. And I, I really didn't know the details of why. I was just led from one to the other, from yoga to meditation to, to different things, knowing all the while that this wasn't my life path, but this was part of what I needed to learn. And along the journey, toward the end, really, just before I saw this film, I came to a place in myself where I realized that these people that I was looking to, to give me the answers about the meaning of life, didn't have those answers for me. And so I had a question. And my question was, where's the love? Where is the love? Like that Black Eyed Peace song, where's the love? Wow. I always felt that there was a condition attached. In our culture, the condition very often is you must be paid, you must receive something in exchange. There always has to be a something. And I'd grown up in a place where there were no conditions. Every child was accepted for themselves, their own unique expression. And so I had this question, where's the love? And when I saw this film, there it was. It was in this man and it was in an entire culture. And I had been to Australia enough as a tourist visiting my daughter that I had the question, why have I been to so many cultural events? I've done all the things that tourists do, and yet I had no knowledge of the beauty of this culture. None. I'd never heard it before. And I was so deeply moved 
by what I learned that I picked up the phone and I rang Australia and I talked to the producer and I said to her, this man needs to be on Oprah with the Dalai Lama. This is the answer to world peace. And why is genocide still happening? So the film was not, uh, there was no enthusiasm about bringing the film to the West as I had requested. Really? Which I said, I said, this film needs to come to America. Westerners need to hear these teachings. And it was, it was an issue of cost, hmm. as, I, as I recall. And so I said on the phone, well, I can't know what I know and do nothing. I'm going to share this film with everyone I know. And so in my own small contribution to the world, I believed that every human being had a right to see what was possible, to see this love that I felt and saw and heard and perceived in this man and in this entire culture, and to know that we too are humans just like just like my husband was speaking to, that this is possible, this is a way of being that's possible. And so I showed the film hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, one at a time on my laptop, which was the only way I could show it, to everyone I knew for a year and a half. Now in the meantime, I'm in touch with the didgeridoo player and he says to me, oh, you really should call Uncle Bob, tell him what you're doing, he'll be so excited. And I said, Julian, why would I do that? Really? Yeah. The door had been open for that year and a half and you, you, never, you never went through it. Well, it wasn't about me. Yeah. I, I felt nothing would be gained from telling him this. I was simply doing my part. Right. To contribute to awareness, to knowledge, to understanding, to, to what the world had the potential for one human being at a time. Mm. And, and even groups started to form. People would watch the film and say, oh, my church group would want to see this. Oh, my environmental group would want to see this. And so I bought a projector and speakers and I was showing it to them. And, you know, there was no exchange of money or anything like that. It was simply, it felt to me like it's why we're alive. We're alive to, to give to each other, to be in service. And so during this year and a half, as I'm going through all of the logistics of divorcing, dissolving an estate, you know, with the home that we purchased and we were gonna remodel and retire in and all these things, I, um, this film was my lifeline. Mm. And it, it, to me, it gave me the, the most extraordinary hope in what is possible. And it really, it just gave a lot of meaning to what I was doing. And I remember during that time that my, my dear friend, Kimberly, she's a psychic reader by trade. She just happens to be. And we, she wanted to take a trip with me. And so we were sitting on an airplane and she looks at me and she says, oh, Barbara, I'm going to miss you so much. And I said, Kim, it's just a one-year visa. I'll be back before you know it. And she said, no, you won't. I see a marriage for you. And I said, 
because I'd had three, I'd had two marriages. I said, are you kidding me? No way. He'd have to be like Gandhi or the Dalai Lama. Are you serious? How, in, what, how would inc an incredible part of the story? Wow. Now, and, yeah. Then what happened? Well, I, I want to just jump back to something that had happened years before that, which as part of my personal journey, when I realized that I was completely uh, responsible for what I let in and my responses to the vicissitudes of life, if you will, I took a vow. It was a very personal vow. It was a very private vow. It was not, there, there was no formal uh, Buddhist temple involved or anything like that, but it was serious. And I did it in a, a very personal, serious ceremony. And I took a vow that I would only contribute to that which was of truth and love. How beautiful is that? And so when I saw this film and, and met this man who's so present in the film, that was what I perceived, truth mm -hmm. and love only. And I perceived it in the entire culture. And so at any rate, there I am on the, on the airplane making this statement to Kim. And, uh, and then the time came when my daughter contacted me and said, mom, I'm going to have another baby. Would you get a one year visa? And, you know, or actually that happened before that statement for Kim. That's why she said it. Would you get a one year visa and come and help me come be a grandmother? It would be so good for you. And I could really use your help. And so in September of 2008, I flew to Australia. And, you know, as a little aside, and I won't go into many details, but Kim, my life was so uh, Harry Potter-ish that Kimberly urged me to go have an astrology reading at one point. I think it was in maybe April before that September when I came. At any rate, I had the reading. He actually sat with me for five hours twice. And that's a big I, reading. I think it was supposed to be a one hour reading. But what he said to me was, life doesn't get any harder than it is for you right now. You are disconnecting from everything that was your frame of reference. Mm -hmm. And your life is like you're walking. You, it's always been like you've been walking through a minefield. You walk along doing what you need to do, minding your business, you know, living well. And all of a sudden, boom, something blows up. So you pick yourself up and you wipe yourself off and you keep going and boom, there it goes again. Now, I would imagine there are many, many people in this world who can relate to that. Mm -hmm. Where life feels... Why did that happen to me? You know, I, I think I was doing the right thing. And then, and then this happens anyway. So at any rate, he recognized that dynamic. And he said, the good news is that it's over. And the second half of your life is extraordinary. Now, he also said, very matter-of-factly, oh, yeah, and there's a partner waiting for you. 
And once again, I roll my eyes <laughs> and I say, are you kidding me? When am I supposed to meet this partner, Larry? And he said, hmm, by the first week in December. Good Lord, he was very, he was very uh, accurate. He was very okay. sure of himself. So now you've had two messages that you're going to be meeting someone, the partner is going to be appearing. That's pretty special. But still, Jen, I was completely detached from that idea. It was not in my radar. It was there and I, I was so uh, accustomed to living beyond expectation of what was actually happening in my life and things were unfolding at such a rapid pace, so unexpectedly, including my divorce, that I just really did my best to live in the moment and not look ahead. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I think I did it pretty well. That's, a, that's actually a great lesson to get out of that period of your life um, rather than looking back with remorse or even worrying about the future. Um, and I've been through that divorce process myself and it's a, it's a very harrow, it can be a very harrowing time. And I think we make it more so when we do that, you know, wor worry about the future and, and remorse about the past. So how great that you could be, you realize the power of just being there in the moment with how you were feeling. Hmm. I think at that stage in my life, it was the only thing I knew how to do because it felt so spirit driven. Right. It felt really beyond what I had a say in almost. And my only say was how to respond in the moment with uh, a gracious, as gracious as I could muster uh, outlook and a trust. And, and so I can't say I was afraid. I wasn't afraid. It was something else. It was, it was a, a state of being in which I realized that anything is possible. And if I ever tried to ask in my prayers for details, I could never dream up what actually unfolded. And I could never plot out or ask for the, the unbelievable gifts that came with the unexpected. Letting go was necessary in order to create the space for that, but it was done on my behalf in a way that uh, that I had complete faith in. What so, a, how incredible! And you—it's almost like what you're describing is you're almost you you are allowing it to happen, as you said. You, your only choice was how to respond in the moment, and that response was allowing and accepting, but also trusting. Very interesting because when I'm not doing interviews on this podcast, every second interview I'm, I'm talking about particular emotional frequencies. And the last two episodes of those this week was about trust and then the one before that was about allowing and accepting because I really believe there's such strong frequencies to, with which to live our life by. So, how, again, how mm -hmm. simplistic that you're sharing the power of those frequencies in your own life. Really incredible. And that, that notion of trust, was that the, your life, lifeline to carry you through? Did that really help in that time? Absolutely. Hmm. Because I realised the uh, instability of, of the mind, the thinking, the planning. The, 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 I really believed in, in the magic of, uh, that can come from spirit driven things 
I believed in that. I still do. Yeah, me too. I, I do too. And it, as you said earlier, you couldn't have written a book or crafted the process more beautifully. Like we can't even in our limited human minds do that, but there's this greater, greater picture, greater, greater process at play that just allows incredible opportunity when we allow it in really, isn't it? Do you think it's that allowing in that helps that, that facilitate that process? Absolutely. But I also had, there was something that, uh, that was my ongoing prayer and had been for many years. And that was, I basically said to spirit, bring it on. I know that I have come into this lifetime with so much ineptitude, so, so much uh, baggage, emotional baggage, wounds, whatever you want to call them. But they're things that don't, don't let me, they, they get in the way so that I become reactive in situations rather than moving beyond them. So Sorry, everyone, we seem to have lost our internet connection with Barbara. We will be right back to you. And we're right back with Barbara, just with that little video dropout. Here we are again, so I'll let you continue. Technology, at least it doesn't affect my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Mine either. So I think I was talking about getting getting to a, a place in life where my prayer really was to address whatever wounds I carried so that I could get on with my purpose and of why I was alive, which I believed was to be of service in some way to, to what, to whom I didn't know in what way I had no idea. Um, I never asked for the details in my prayers, but I did ask that, the lessons, the initiations, if you will, be bring it on, bring it on so that I can confront these things. And if I'm ready, you know, at least be given the chance to move through them so I can get on with it. And wow, did they ever. I had so many initiations and it's not easy. We're talking about real deep learning by making mistakes, by doing the wrong thing, you know, including uh, the emotions that come with it, the public humiliation, whatever it took, I was willing to do it. And I would show up and do the best that I could over and over and over again. And then finally, I have this reading with this astrologer who said, that part of your life is over. That must and be so, quite a relief. Is that quite a relief? Uh, I not... I don't know that it was. I already felt relief because, see, I was living within the freedom of, of this trust. Mm. It, the, the freedom and the joy of, of being in the moment and being really clear about where I, where I was, who I was internally, and where my boundaries were such that when drama happened around me, I had full understanding that it wasn't mine. Mm -hmm. And I didn't react to it because of that, because I had something that was, had a deeper resonance, a deeper meaning, a deeper frequency to it, which was this spiritual love and service and heart and joy. 
and appreciation for life and gratitude for all of it. It was running in me. Mm-hmm. It just was there so pervasively mm-hmm. that even in the midst of divorce and drama, it was there. Now, the, in the physical, I was absolutely exhausted. But in the psycho-spiritual, I, I was as strong as I could possibly hope for at that time, which is what got me through. How great is that? How great is that? And it is your, what you're talking about there is that, yes, it's that essential knowingness of self and that essential feeling of strength from the inside out rather than looking to get this from anyone else you had this knowingness within yourself and this strength within yourself how powerful so what happened then well where was i oh so i came to australia in september of 2008 and literally you know my fancy watch stopped on the airplane many things ended and there i was for two months i was with my daughter and then the didgeridoo player says to me guess who's coming to town and so my future husband unbeknownst to me was on the board of a healing center in perth or south of perth and so i signed up for his workshop and that was in november of 2008 and I really, you know, I didn't need to meet him. I didn't have any, I didn't feel, uh, I didn't really feel anything other than it was a great opportunity. And when I woke up that morning of his workshop, I had done so much uh, energy work, if you will. People call it different things, you know, in, in the healing arts arena, including in the meditation and yoga and all those things that I was very um, attuned within my physical body. And when I woke up that morning, I knew something beyond what I'd ever experienced was going on because it felt like I had champagne in my blood vessels. What a beautiful expression. What an incredible expression. I was effervescent. Wow. I truly felt that way. Everything about me. And... You know, for those, it's impossible to know what other people feel when they do these different modalities, but I would liken it to what I experienced when I was shown Reiki and initiated into Reiki. There's a very high vibration, this soft, subtle, beautiful, high vibration that's very delicate. It was similar to that, but Reiki didn't even come close to what I felt. It was in every bit of me and I was really hot and I'm never hot. I'm always cold. And so I knew energetically something was up. I go to the workshop. I sit down at a big round table in a, in a banquet hall of a restaurant. And I'm sitting there with my friend, Julian, the Didge player. And he had brought all these crystals for Bob to touch and put them on a black velvet cloth, I think it was, on, in the, on the table. And as we're sitting there waiting for the workshop to start, Bob, I could, I could feel something that would be akin to a tractor beam between us. 
I, there are no other words to describe it. I felt like I was on the Star Trek <laughs> and there was this tractor beam between us. And, uh, and then he came walking over to our table. He walked straight up to Julian. Julian jumps up and greets him with his friend and says, let me introduce my friend and look, Uncle Bob, I have all these crystals to show you. And Bob had his hands in his pocket both hands down in his jeans pocket. And he wouldn't touch the crystal, he wouldn't accept the crystals Julian was offering. And apparently, and I didn't hear this, but he told me later, he said to Julian, no, I need to touch another crystal. Oh. So, <laughs> he didn't want to uh, affect or contaminate his perception by touching a stone ahead of time. Wow. And then he, and then he does this, Jim. Just that. Just looks at so, you. No, this. Oh, really? So for those, still, for those who are listening, he just sort of raises his eyebrows and smiles at Barbara. Is that right? Well, he, he, he motions with his head, come oh. over here. So he jerks his head to the side, come over here. And it, in Aboriginal communication, body language is, uh, a lot of communication is nonverbal. So that's classic. Mm. I know that, but it, that was pretty universal. I knew what he meant. So I stood up and I walked over to him and he walked away from the table and he put out his arms and he gives me a big hug. And then I feel him start to kind of quiver. And we lean back and I look in his eyes and he's smiling, but he's got tears streaming down his face. And then he holds me again and he says to me, I've been waiting for you. Oh, I've got goosebumps all over. How so then he says to me, I need, to, there's something very important I need to tell you. Can we sit down for a moment? And I remember sitting down face to face on, these, on the chair, a little away from the table, turned away from the table, and he leans forward on his chair and he says, when I held you, the grannies came. And in my culture, granny's law is highest law. You never question the grannies. Now, I knew exactly what, I didn't know exactly what he meant, but I knew what he meant. He was talking about spirit. And apparently I found out later, he, when he held me, the spirits of his mother, his grandmother, and his dead wife appeared to him. And then he says to me, now, baby, I'm from Arnhem Land. I don't muck around, I get straight to the point. Are you married? Huh. Now, fortunately not. <laughs> I, you remember that I had taken the vow of only love and truth. Mm. So there were two voices in my head. One was an inner voice that was receptive and listening and taking in and receiving and perceiving and discerning. And another voice was the Western woman thinking to myself, well, wow, that's a line and a half. Do I trust him? And there was nothing 
there that that felt like it betrayed anything that wasn't truth. Mm. I only perceived truth. And I said, no, I'm divorced. And so he said, well, I'd like to spend as much time with you as I can. This, I'm here all week doing different teachings and events. Would, would you come with me? Would you come to my teaching sessions? And I said, sure, I'd love to. And then they start the workshop and no sooner do they start the workshop than his girlfriend arrives. Uh-oh. Well, I didn't think anything of it because I had no illicit intentions, mm. nothing. And no sooner does she walk in and get introduced to everyone that Bob's phone, then Bob's phone rings and it's her, it's a message that her daughter's gone into premature labor. And so she has to turn around and get on an airplane and go to Melbourne straight away. And that's when I said, Oh my gosh, you aren't kidding. And there it was a baby brought me to Perth and another baby cleared the way. Wow. So that was how we met. That's incredible. And Bob knew straight away, straight away, because what he shared with me during that week was, I mean, everything started off with a bang, but Granny's law as highest law it took me many, many years, and I'm still learning, deepening my understanding of what that means. But it's, it's so, it, it is the heart of wisdom. It is the heart of wisdom, is Granny's Law. Mm. And I might digress just a little bit to share a little bit of what that means. I'd love you to, I was about to ask, would you mind? Because I think it'd be really good to understand more deeply that term. Yeah. Well, what we know in the world today, I think, is that wisdom teachings are everywhere. Look how much wisdom there is. Oh my gosh, there are such beautiful teachers, past and present. And, and coming in, we see these brilliant children coming in. The wisdom is there. And so why isn't the world living it? Why has there been so much destruction of the environment? Why have there been so many wars? Certainly that's not an expression based in wisdom. Yeah. And so we, it begs the question, what is wisdom? What is its relevance? What is the relevance of these ancient teachings to us as, as you know, to you and me, Jen, and to, to the world? What is that? Well, here's a little bit of what I learned. So the grannies, the elders, and, and in particular, the ceremonial elders, but those old people, they have been held and moved through and lived and made choices within the container of a culture that never broke the thread of love and truth from the beginning of time. They've carried the teachings from, the, from what they call the dreaming or the jukerbubs, basically the teachings of God, the teachings from creation, the natural laws, of goodness and rightness. They've carried those teachings and passed them down generation after generation impeccably, without censor, without edit, without their own self-aggrandizement getting in the way or altering them in any way, because they have gone through 
all of that life, gleaned all of that knowledge, and then met their responsibility with love, handing them down because of the birthright of knowledge and the importance of knowledge to be used for survival, for belonging, for creating, such that we continually, from the beginning of time, can fit into nature rather than destroy it, mm. can fit into a global uh, family without destroying each other. And that's what was done here on this continent. Mm. So I want to share, so in other words, you can completely trust these elders, these wisdom keepers, to the level that you never have to ask a question growing up, nor do you have to question the benefit when they say something. You can take whatever they say, and as long as you follow those guidelines or whatever they're telling you, then life is good. And this, and this thread will continue. You will be part of the weaving. You can step into that simply by listening to those old people and actually then choosing and coming into that thread. Mm. And that's your personal responsibility. So I want to share three short stories of what I've seen that illustrate that. The first is uh, something that my husband wrote in a, in a book. He wrote a story called Trusting Bunyi. Bunyi is the um, Arnhem Land word in, in one of the cultures for father. And so Bob's brother had on the, on the missions because he was stolen generations and he was out on a mission, but they were allowed to hunt when they got older. Um, it was wartime and they, the mission would buy the skins from them and then on sell them. I think they were used in, in military purposes and whatever. Uh, but his brother had a new gun and wanted to try it and ended up shooting a crocodile in the ocean. And the boys were all there together, young men, I suppose you could say. And they said, well, who's gonna go see if I actually shot it? Who's gonna go check? And Bob was the only one willing to swim out and check. And he said, I'll make a deal. I'll, I'll go check as long as you share the, the money that you get from the skin. Well, old Bunyi heard about Bob's courage. And because he did bring in the croc, he did shoot it. it, it was hit and he brought it in. And the old man heard about his courage and approached him and said, you're ready to learn how to hunt crocodile. And took him out on a moonless night, no moon, the dark of the moon. And Bob was, he was, he was not that old. I'm gonna guess he was maybe 14. And Bob's job was to hold the torch, the flashlight, and the bunyi had the gun. Bob was in front of him, and they were to walk into this brackish water, and then Bob was to shine the light, and without talking, the bunyi would touch Bob on the shoulder to shine it to the left, on the left shoulder, to the, on the right shoulder to shine it to the right, and then straight ahead. And when, as soon as he turned the torch on, there were these eyes everywhere glowing. Oh my goodness, that's very scary. I've seen those crocodiles up there in Arnhem Land. Very scary. Yes. And so Bunyi was directing Bob to walk in deeper and deeper. And the crocodile 
was that he aimed him for was coming closer and closer. And Bob was not allowed to speak. All he had was a torch with Gunny behind him. And at one point when the crock was about a meter away, the gun came down, bang. And all Bunyi said was, next one. Wow. And they got three crocodiles. But do you see the level of trust? Yes, absolutely. It's exactly the name of the story came to my mind when you were, when, when he said you've got to walk towards that crocodile. That's ultimate trust, isn't it? Complete trust. Mm. Complete. So fast forward, I'm in the desert. And my husband set up a beautiful bush camp. He called it the Canini Bush Camp. And, or, and we were out there with some family and visitors. And our old auntie was sitting, she was just sitting down in the, in the desert sand. And one of the visitors says to her, auntie, can you tell us how you smoke the babies? Well, the way of teaching, she's quite a teacher, this old auntie. First of all, she doesn't have much English. And the way of teaching isn't to tell, unless you're telling a, a story. So she gets somebody to get firewood and she sets up a little fire, she digs a pit and she puts the herbs in it or whatever it was that she plant material and she makes a little smoking fire and she sees her four-year-old, he's about four, little grandson, and she calls him over and he, he puffs himself up and he marches over to his grandmother, proud as can be that, you know, she wants him. And, and she grabs him by the arm, picks him up and holds him over the smoking fire. Now he's smiling the whole time. He's just so proud to, you know, be with his grandmother. And I didn't think much of it until fast forward, I'm in America with my four-year-old granddaughter. Now she is not raised in Aboriginal culture. She's raised in uh, uh, whatever you would call a Western culture. And she's unwell and we have to go to the doctor. And my, because my daughter's trained in naturopathy, the kids don't go to doctors very often. But there was, she had something going on with her belly, some mystery. And so on, we had to actually, my daughter had to bribe her with a lolly. Wow. Her to agree to go to the doctor. There's snow on the ground. My daughter's got an infant baby in the car seat. It's a big ordeal to get her there. And when we finally get into the office, the doctor walks in. She's a little old lady with a stethoscope around her neck, very petite, very old. And she looks at Maya and she says, hello, Maya, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And I just want to listen to your belly with a stethoscope. Would that be okay? And my granddaughter turned into a screaming, kicking, raging, just terrified child and would not let the doctor near her. So we get in the car and I said to her, Maya, honey, what happened? You said that if you had the lolly, you would let the doctor examine you. And she said, well, I didn't trust that doctor. Wow. This is our world. Mm -hmm. 
that trust has been broken. Just because we're old doesn't mean we have wisdom in the first place, nor do the children have any reason to trust because look at what they're inheriting. Mm. And so even a four-year-old child has to discern for herself whether or not she can trust someone with her mother and her grandmother right there saying it's okay. Mm. What's safe for her? So Granny's Law, absolutely the crux of everything for tens of thousands of years. So it's real essence, this Granny's Law is this really, this, this essence of trust and this essence of tapping into your own wisdom and love. It, it, the essence of trust is... It's implicit in the, the whole cultural container. It, it was, it's a living culture mm. that's never broken the trust. And so those who are part of it are that knowledge and that good use of knowledge is embedded within mm. the individuals. And then by the time they've lived enough life that they reach those old people stages that they become the ceremonial men and the ceremonial women who are looked to to hold those spaces they're the wisdom holders the wisdom keepers and their discerning dissemination of that knowledge keeps the thread keeps the culture going Hmm. we live in a world now that says give me your knowledge because I want it. It's a very different way of looking at the world, isn't it? It really is. Rather than this notion of passing on when, when you're ready. So this, this notion of being, being available and wise enough to actually take the, the lineage on. Well, in a way, somehow in my own journey, I would have had to have had an attitude that I had to earn through life's initiations, I had to learn, earn my own, my own, what, journey or readiness mm. in order to be, be worthy of or be capable of. It's not even worthy, it's capable of doing to the high, to my highest ability, what I'm here to do. Mm. And so there's a certain humility that has to come with that because many of us just decide that I have a right to this or I have a right to that, but we haven't actually had the initiations to earn that right. Yes. I really, and I like what you're saying there about the initiations and it's, it's that, for me, when I think about it, I think, you know, you talked about having those experiences and accepting those experiences and coming to the end of that. I, I, think, I, I think what you're saying is, is it's about letting go of the persona, letting go of this expectation that things have to be a certain way, letting go even of, of you said, the expectation that it's my right um, and fully, but also fully owning, um, I thought, I'm not quite getting the words today, but just owning that 
you can, we can sometimes, we, we've made these mistakes and that humility that you're talking about, I think. And then that, but the, regardless of the mistakes, we're still, we've still got strength inside us. We're still a value inside us. I think that's what you're talking about. And then once we've had that humility, once we sort of come to that awareness of ourselves that we are, we will make mistakes that we can then take on board these, these deeper level pieces of knowing really, can't we? I think there, we're not the best judge of what we're ready for. Mm. <laughs> no. And that's why sometimes things happen that we don't particularly want to have happen so we can have that experience. Yeah. Yep. I know years ago when I was running and I was looking at how to improve my performance and things like that. And I remember at the time I was listening to a, a documentary that, was, that featured a marathon runner. And, and one of the comments that he made was that when you're running and particularly a long distance, the brain or the body will tell you that you've, you've at 50%, when you've got 50% of your reserves left, the body will start to say, no, I'm flagging. I need to stop now. Yeah. <laughs> So there's this, and the body will actually then, because it's wanting to conserve the energy. But if you, and I think you told me that you also used to run, you also know that once you push through that and not that you want to go to exhaustion, but as you continue, you can move into a freer space within yourself. I've always found it very meditative. So there's more, there's more in us than we think, I think as well. We might think we've had a tough time or, We've encountered some uh, some bad experiences, but if we can see them out and see the wisdom in them, trust that there is something in, in them for us, then coming to the other side, there's, it's, it is quite a fresh place to be and a, and a really great place to to. That's I think where you step into wisdom when you when you accept that these difficult things have happened, fully own them. I think sometimes I know that previously in life I didn't own my the things that I'd done. I was looking for to put blame outside, but a big shift has happened in me in the last couple of years when I realized that I was actually fully responsible for all of my creations and it wasn't anyone else doing anything else to me. It was me doing it to me, my perception of myself or my perception of a set of circumstances. And when I really owned that and saw how perhaps I had, you know, been perpetrated on other people, that's when the whole game shifted for me. I, I felt like I could own it. I had more clarity, but I could, 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 could proceed in a, in a clearer way, but not having to blame anyone else anymore and not having to blame myself. I'm not sure if that resonates with you. Very much so. I had a particular moment when it, when I, it was during the divorce time and I, I had a wound that I was aware of that I carried from childhood and the wound, it was just this, you know, it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was this feeling that I, it was probably an abandonment wound or an, a, a feeling of never getting my needs met or always putting myself last and, and never quite getting what I needed and what I, what I really needed. It felt like I needed it. Mm -hmm. And I was in a situation where I, how do I, how do I describe this? I'll just have to tell you the story of what happened. So I was working with uh, a, a man who was considered a shaman and I was his, his 
manager, whatever you want to call it. And I, um, I had booked a session in for me. I was going through a divorce. I had all kinds of things going on. And when he came into town, I really could have used a session, but something came up, a, a, a really um, important situation with a young child who wasn't well and a whole family. And so I forfeited my session and I gave it to, I gave it away. And I, I never would do anything differently. At the same time, I was so struggling with this wound that came up, which was like, here we go again. You know, I don't get my needs met. And when I share the story, it sounds like a silly wound, but many of us carry this. Oh, I think it's a very common wound. I know I've carried it as well. It's extremely common yeah. for, for a lot of, for women too. I think we can feel like we give us, ourselves away, but please continue. So I remember sitting there in, uh, in the car and he knew something wasn't right. And he said to me, well, what's going on? You know, what, what's, what's wrong? Now, what I didn't want to do was I didn't want to have a Band-Aid. I didn't want to just have a, a session because I wanted to address the wound. Get rid of this thing. I don't want this anymore. This is a burden. This, that was the absence of freedom was mm -hmm. to carry that. And so I, I, I just said, oh, it's, it's just something very personal. And all of a sudden, I don't know where it came from. But it was as if I was given this understanding and I said, oh my God, what have I done to perpetuate this wound in the world? Yeah. In other words, I realized that just carrying this wound, I was vibrating it out. That was my vibration. I passed it on. I, I contaminated my children with it, with everyone everyone that was part of me and that was an awareness that was so it saturated me mm. it was as if i felt i not only took the responsibility but i felt the responsibility i felt it in me in every cell of my being and when that happened something shifted in in my field in a way that I've never experienced before. And it felt like all of my guidance disappeared. I felt completely alone, almost in a vacuum. And it was, it was a space that actually wasn't painful. It was a space that was so neutral, I don't even have words to describe it. Mm. And, and it was almost as if I had married the wound with the self, and so the wound disappeared. And what happened then was he said, I know, we've got 15 minutes. Let's go in and do a, do a session, a quick session. And it, I never told him what the wound was, but he said to me, your grandmother had this as well but she didn't have the energy to clear it, to address it and to clear it. But you've come in to do that in your lineage and it's gone out to every life you've touched. The healing. Wow. Completeness has gone out laterally as well as forward and back. And that's the quantum power of it. Yep. As soon as you clear that wound, 
it's cleared in the lineage. But it's actually, it, you know, we have a tendency in the presence of the vicissitudes of life to try to deny them. We want to ignore them, deny them, suppress them, uh, feed them herbs or whatever we do. Um, and I think that for me, that experience showed me that it was actually em embracing it in a sense and taking responsibility with it to so that I could assimilate it. I could digest it, assimilate it and transmute it so that it could then come out in the, in the, in the flower and the fruit of life of, of who I am. I, I, it's so, it's such a profound story, but it's so interesting, Barbara, because I've had, I've had almost the carbon copy experience of realizing like you realizing, uh, you know, how instead of me being the victim, I, I was flipped very prominently in my, in my face. It was like, how, where have you done this to all of these people, to people in your life? And it's a very confronting thing. But as soon as you look at that and then own it without beating yourself up, it, it neutralizes it. You're in this completely neutral space. And my life has been completely different since that time. But I think this is, you know, when we talk about freedom versus fear on this podcast, I agree with you. Instead of trying to pacify ourselves and, um, you know, turn away from the fear, the power comes from actually walking, I call it walking into the fire and walking into the fire of it, knowing that, the more you look into it and the more you walk into it, it's paradoxical. It actually has to subside. One of the things I wanted to just cover before we close, because it's, it's back to this, but it's back to this question around love. Cause I think that is before I leave that, actually there's one of the things I think that's a very strong, that's a strength of love right there. And in our modern society, I haven't shared this thought with you before. I'd be interested in your views, but in our modern society, we sort of see love. Love can be portrayed as this quite fluffy thing, you know, a very beautiful, calm, peaceful, you know, soft, feminine emotion. But as you said when we started, love is actually, it's, it's, it's probably beyond us in terms of our human understanding. But for me, there's a component of love that's really, there's a real strength to love. And there's a, we need to, there's an opportunity with love to really step into the strength of it. I'd be curious about your view on that and perhaps how that reflects into your relationship with Uncle Bob and the fact that many people asked you how did, how did you achieve that love between yourselves? So lots of questions there, but interested in your views on that. And once again, I think love is the biggest topic in the world. Mm. I've always perceived love as a state of being. And I believe that that state of being is, it imbues the soul of every, everything living, of everything in creation and everything in spirit. It is that. It, it just is that. And we know the qualities of love, all the qualities of love. Love is not an emotion. Love is a, is a, a soul imbued state of being that, that knows only completeness of, of truth, completeness of self, the, the, the perfection of creation that is beyond words. Mm. But it, we can perceive it within our experiences when we choose 
to have a certain perspective over another. So we can always turn in that direction of love. Mm. And we know that love is patient, love is kind, love is that whole list of things. Love is all those qualities. And if anything falls outside of that, it's not love. However, love also in, in action in life requires the capacity to accept death, to accept loss, to accept pain, to accept suffering, and to see all of this as, as dynamics within the circle of life, such that those things never take us beyond the heart of who we are at the soul level. And when you share that with another person, you can only do so if you really always look to self to know that you are that state of being. And, and just in the same way that I had to take responsibility for the wound that I carried, there's love in being able to do that. Because within that, there's a compassionate detachment I don't beat myself up because I carried that wound. There's an explanation for that. And I have absolutely no doubt that if that is within me, that is also reflected vibrationally in every single thing that, that lets that in. And so why would I have less compassion for myself in that journey of moving toward love always in my choices than I would for anyone else, for my child, for my granddaughter, for my grandson, for my, my mother, for any human being. It has to be part of it. And so it's, it's a constant journey in every moment, in every thought, in every word, in every action, and if a contaminated thought comes in, and I spoke to this in the last session that we did, about choosing to match it with another thought. Mm. Another thought that is the, the opposite. So if a, if a, if a thought of, uh, of fear comes in, let's say we, we've suffered a trauma as a child, or even as an adult, you know, that was then, and this is now, and I know that I have this knee-jerk reaction that every time something triggers that, that I have that feeling inside me, bring that thought, practice, bring it stronger and stronger. Mm -hmm. And then love is actioned through, you know, what they, what my husband would say was through the models, through, through actioning, from the models of the four great parents of life, Father Moon, Father Ocean, Mother Earth, and Mother Sun. And when we action that love in those, from those models, from what they do, the men are protecting and providing for, the women are nurturing. Those are the primary hubs of capacity in service that we each provide. 
Now that doesn't mean that the men don't nurture and that the women don't protect and provide for, but we're all contributing in a complementary way in whatever way we can. Contributing to the whole. Yes, yes, absolutely. You said that people would ask you and Uncle Bob how that you achieved that state of love. Can you explain, or do you have any, in a few words, can you explain how perhaps you did achieve that, how that, how you lived that daily in your lives? What was it that you both did? It takes two. I was very blessed to be with a very conscious man who lived in service in truth and love and who completely owned his own choices. And it was my work to do the same. Mm. Completely own my own choices to not project on him, to not blame him for any of my feelings. I had a choice as to how I would respond to his, whatever it was that he did. And to, to not see the beauty in another person would be impossible mm. when you live that way. Because it, it is part of creation. You have to have, I think, a, uh, an awareness and an appreciation for the sacredness of creation. And that includes especially within another human being. And when you're blessed enough to, to meet someone and be with someone that your soul recognizes, there's a soul-to-soul -soul connection that transcends the living. It, it transcends this physical lifetime. I don't know that there's any explanation for that, but the heart knows. Everything knows. It's the mind that sometimes you have to convince that gets discouraged. But there's a, there's a knowingness, a, a recognition, a, 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 just a sense of, of this connection that is just there. And then the work is in each of us doing our part in that by no projection at all and so that's a bit challenge that can be challenging in two different cultures and that's the world we live in now that one family to another within the same country can be completely different cultures raised completely differently and then how, what is the middle ground that we're going to meet on? And the middle ground very often is each being in service to all that will be in the way that we each choose to do that with never compromising and recognizing that right and responsibility and beauty in another person when they are living that. And I think to be able to recognize that, you need to have, be able to feel that within yourself. Absolutely. That feeling of, of great love and that connection of love within self. And before we came on today, we were talking about that, this idea that when we understand that we are love itself within ourselves, then we become self-sufficient. As you say, we don't need to have our needs met by another or project onto others. We have that connection within ourselves, but then that allows a greater connection when you're with another person who's in that same space, which it sounds to me like you absolutely were with Uncle Bob. Well, I think one of the mistakes that we make as human beings is that we look at love by what can I get? Yes. And the feeling of love comes from what can I give? So true. 
so true. And that to circle back around to the beginning of our conversation, to me, that's the antidote to this concept of this, you know, this concept you said people in a state of starvation of love because they're looking outside of themselves for that feeling of love rather than connecting with the wellspring of love inside themselves. And then when you can connect with that wellspring of love inside yourself, then you've got a lot to give. It's, 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 it's not an easy thing to do. No. Because love is meant to be reflected in the world. Everything mm -hmm. is connected and everything is a reflection of other. And so we live in a very troubled world now. And, it, and it would, it's easy for people to get discouraged. And that's why now above else, when we're disappointed over and over again with, um, you know, uh, with unkindness or, or cruelty or hostility or whatever it is that we might encounter, it's absolutely essential that we not become that, but also that we recognize the the beauty and creation itself and we look at nature and do our best to nurture nature and slowly that's how we rebuild that feeling of of recognition of true love within ourselves is by exploring that in the way we care for nature mm. and i'll never forget my husband handing a man uh, a seed out of the sand a man who was visiting and said, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with my anger. It's a bad world out there. What am I going to do? How do you do it, Uncle Bob? And he picked a seed up out of the sand and he put it in John's hand and said, take this home and grow it up. Hmm. And so, you know, th this is what we all must do. We must bring back this nurturing that's part of us. And that is the expression of love that's absolutely necessary because love means nothing if it's not actioned in the life and we only get this life to do it that's it it's our it's it's our really our our task for this life isn't it to be nurturing this love and i think as you say in this modern society i think we're in this process of unearthing to use that word to to rediscovering what love really is and it's not in the materialism, it's not in the, the things that we have, but it's in that, that nurturing, you know, as Uncle Bob said, of the seed in the sand, but also that, that nurturing of that essence inside of ourselves. It's not about looking outside anymore. It's about coming inside to nurture that and to see that brightness within ourselves. And one of the things that I, I guess it's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is exactly that, is for people to rediscover that bright light within, within themselves and that it's so it's there and waiting should we be ready to to start having a look well and and you know when we when we're really really low and don't have the energy to access that because there are some pretty horrific traumas that have occurred you know that's when we can just simply sit on the earth stand on the earth whatever we need to do but really actually just perceive it take that in and there's such a there's a, a science law or whatever you call it that of resonance mm. such that all we have to do is is open ourselves up to that resonance and allow it and she gives that freely the earth gives that 
that's it. So, yeah, I... <laughs> yeah well, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's, you're exactly right. And it's beautiful. That's the beautiful wisdom teaching of Uncle Bob's and, your, and yours there that it is. It's just when we're, when we're feeling very low, that earth, we just allow, open ourselves up to the beauty of nature and she will give us exactly the resonance that we need. And you're right, there's some scientific study that's been done about why do we like to be in nature? Why do we like to be by water? Why do we like to watch a sunset? Because she's resonating at the energy of love. That's right. And then there's the law of reciprocity, which is very, very important. And so they call it Napaji Napaji in the desert. So just as we receive that resonance from Mother Earth, so too must we give back, must we provide, and there's actually strengthening in the giving. Mm. So you don't grow a muscle by sitting still and just absorbing the, the concept of getting stronger. <laughs> you grow that muscle by exercising it. You're exactly right. Yeah. So let's do some more Nupaji Nupaji. Absolutely. Mm. Yes. Barbara, thank you so much for your time and for your sharing today. It's just been another wonderful conversation. Well, I'd love to have you back again on the podcast at some time in the future. But until we can connect with you again, how would people best be able to get in contact with you to learn more of these wisdom teachings through you and to connect more with you in terms of the, the Uncle Bob Randall Canyoni Foundation? I, at this point, I just have, uh, there's an Instagram account, I think that's what it's called, that a friend urged me to set up. I'm not, uh, I'm waiting for the right technology people to come along, but just an email, just an email is fine. I'm, I'm pretty available. And what's that email, Barbara? What's the best one for people to contact you on? Yeah, Bar Barbara Randall 4 at iCloud.com, and it's R-A-N-D-A-L-L. Four at iCloud.com. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much. And I think, yes, um, Barbara is looking to now expand this foundation and to really get this off the ground. So anyone who's listening who feels so called and would like to connect with Barbara and hear more and understand how she is really helping carrying these wisdoms, teachings forward, please make contact with her through that email address. And um, I want to say thank you very much again, Barbara, for your time and your love and your energy today in sharing with us. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing more of your stories as, as you progress. Thank you, Jen. It's been a delight. Always. Always with you too. Okay, take good care. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Your Freedom Unlimited. If you like this show, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate and review Your Freedom Unlimited on your favourite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, you can reach me directly at jenramsey.com. Thanks for listening.